what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, God, you haven't revealed this stuff to the wise and learned, i.e., in the very next story, the expert in the law. Do you catch that? You haven't revealed it to the experts in the law. You have revealed it to me. And then he goes on to say, all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus is teaching about himself to his disciples. And he has given them authority. And they are amazed as far as what life is like in this kingdom. So understand this. Only Jesus can accurately reveal God the Father. Only Jesus can do that. Now, here's my question to you. Who gives tests? Does the student give the test or does the teacher give the test? Do you understand what I'm asking? When you walk into your class, do you give the teacher the test or the teacher give you the test? Well, like, duh. It's the teacher who gives you the test. But in this story, who gives the teacher the test? The wise and the learned, which Jesus says, the Father has not been revealed to them. The student gives the teacher the test. The student tested, Jesus says it right there. And he he asks this question, and as Jesus so many times did, when he is asked a question, how does he respond by asking a question? Now, let me under, let, let me assure you that Jesus truly doesn't, he, he's not trying to ascertain the facts that this guy knows, because Jesus already knows this. He knows the hearts of every man. When God ever asks a question, like in the garden, Adam, where are you? Is it because God lost track of Adam? He didn't put a GPS tracker on him. He says, oh my goodness, he's off the radar. How am I going to, Adam, where are you? I've lost Adam. Of course not. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Because he wants Adam to realize that he is hiding. So that Adam says, "Uh, over here. And Adam, can I ask you, why are you hiding from me? Oh, good question. And now he has to confess his sin. And so whenever God asks us a question, God already knows the answer, church. He wants to make sure you know the answer. And so Jesus then, he asks the expert in the law a question. But I'm going to tell you this. He is asking him an essay question. And the expert in the law gives a multiple choice answer. Because here's what he does. He's, he knows the facts. Uh, let me see it again. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And hang on. Okay. Uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commands, aren't they? And Jesus says, ah, I like that. It's kind of like an encouragement that you give to a young student who's like halfway there. I like your answer. You're, you're like almost there, you know, but you don't say that, of course. You say, okay, that's, that's correct. Luke tells us that the expert in the law doesn't have it quite right. 
by sharing the next story with us. The focus, though, to this answer that the the man gives is love your neighbor as yourself because he wants to justify himself. He doesn't focus on the first commandment. He focuses on the second one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as Now, let me tell you about love your neighbor. But he tries to ask Jesus. He tries to play the teacher again and justify himself because he's going to give the right answer if Jesus doesn't. The answer was not, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not the facts. It's how those facts correlate. If Jesus were to give the answer that he was looking for, the essay answer, he would have responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, so that you can... Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why do I say that? Because Luke wants us to understand this. The man is focusing on loving your neighbor, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Focus on that first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we know this? Look at the next story. What is the next story? Luke is the only one who records this next story. It's about Martha and Mary. You remember that story. I'm not going to read it for you. You remember that story, right? And Jesus is being welcomed into Mary and Martha's home. And I don't know where Lazarus is at this point. But (laughs) Martha is busy doing what? Serving Jesus, loving your neighbor. What is Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, focusing on what? Loving your neighbor or loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind? Loving the Lord your God. And she is sitting before the feet of Jesus. You see, she knows the answer to this essay question. I want to love Jesus with all of my heart. You see, when I do that, this loving my neighbor as myself, that just flows from it. And so here's what I'm going to tell you, church, we have got to get this point down. Do you want to have an impactful ministry? When you look at Luke 4, Jesus goes through these temptations, and when he comes out of it, he comes out of it leaving the wilderness full of, or rather, yeah, full of the power of the Spirit, and he now is thrust into this ministry of working miracles, preaching the gospel, and many are beginning to follow. Many of them are beginning to realize this is the Messiah. Yes, they begin to place their trust in him, and their lives are being transformed. They are, if you will, loving God, whom Jesus the teacher has revealed, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that does something in them, we're going to see in just a moment, so that they're able to love their neighbor as their self. If we get that mixed around, church, if we just are taking a multiple, yeah, love God and love your neighbor, I got it. But do you know how they work together? Because right now, you think that if you do enough, you will make it, and you'll have eternal life. And it's all about works. But when you source God, when you love him, something happens in you that empowers you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is crucial. This point is crucial if we are... Number one, to walk in all the promises that God has for us. And number two, 
walk in an anointed ministry. We've been talking about this. Remember the Jews in the wilderness. They had to go through their wilderness experience for 40 years in order to be able to inherit the promised land, which I am saying represents all the promises that God has for you. For Jesus, he had to go through his wilderness experience, which wasn't for 40 years, but for 40 days, in order to be inaugurated into his anointed ministry. So our focus is on both of those, the promises God gives you and the anointed ministry that God gives you. And scripture tells me, church, very clearly, every single one of you who trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, he has done something in you and he has given you a call. He's given you a ministry and that is going to be consumed by loving your neighbor as yourself. I love the way Patrick Morley puts it. He says, God has called us to a ministry and this calling will have something to do with the brokenness of this world. You, what God has deposited in you to bring a remedy and a healing to the brokenness of this world. And trust me, that is only going to happen by the Spirit of God in you. It is not going to happen by your intellect. You're not going to solve the problem of world hunger by, put, by using math equations, how smart you are. That is going to happen by God transforming you and using you to transform this world. Okay, so I think we're beginning to understand then that if I am to love my neighbor and I am going to be effective in ministry and walking God's blessing and promises, then something needs to happen in me, and that is I need to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all of my strength. <coughs> Excuse me, this is not a multiple choice question. God wants to see how these work, loving God, loving our neighbor. I believe this concept of loving God is so significant that when we grasp that, it truly, truly revolutionizes us. I grew up in a church like all my life. I can't remember, even as a little baby, I cannot remember not being in church unless I played sick. Um, I knew the Bible. I went to Sunday school. Okay, had to go to Sunday school. I went to Sunday school. I learned all the facts, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 14 years of age. I was like this expert in the law. Oh, I knew the answers. I, I did pretty well in my multiple choice essay or multiple choice tests in, in Sunday school. I did pretty well. I raised my hand like all the time. But I flunked in the essay, at least until I was 14. And God showed me. But here's what I want to do right now. If we love God, then that is going to be evident in how we live our life. I remember I was helping a young man some years ago, <clears throat> and there were some strongholds in his life, and just ministering truth to him and trying to help him to take ground and really grow in his walk with Christ and be a transformed young man. And so I kept on encouraging him to spend time in the word and in prayer. And when we would get together, 
Um, so were you able to spend time with the Lord? Uh, not really. Not really. And I said, just be honest with me. Now, it's been a couple of months here, and you don't spend time with the Lord. Can I ask you why? And he was, he was very truthful and blunt with me. He said, well, Mike, I'll be honest with you, it's boring. It's boring. And I thought about that. And let's be honest, there are times in which maybe we feel that way. Or maybe you're sitting here today, you feel like, you know what, the Bible, it was written 2,000 years ago, it is just so boring. Even when I'm not reading the King James and I'm reading a relevant translation that I can understand today, it's still boring to me. Can I just share a very quick illustration with you? I want to I get your input on So this is an essay test right now. You're married. Um, your spouse seems to be avoiding you. And whenever you want to sit down and talk when the movie is done and the TV's turned off, they leave the room. And then eventually you get this idea like, I wonder if they even like me. What, what, what's, wrong, what's wrong? Did I offend them? Did I offend my spouse? And so you sit down with your spouse and you ask, have I offended you? Because it's like you never want to spend time with me. And they tell you this. Well, to be honest with you, you're boring. How does that make you feel? The first question is, well, hello, stupid. Why did you even marry me? I mean, that would be my first. Why did you even marry me? Okay? You weren't forced to. I want to ask you, why did you choose to follow Jesus if you think he's boring? I think the problem has absolutely nothing to do with this book now. And it has everything to do with what we're talking about. Love the Lord your God. And the reason why spending time with Jesus is so hard, and let's be frank, so boring, is because I truly don't know how to love God. That, my friends, is a light bulb moment when we discover this. When I was 14, that was a light bulb moment. Great at multiple choice, hated essays. I began to realize why Jesus had to die on the cross. Why Jesus demonstrated his love in that way. And church, it began to blow me away. I got it. You see, when I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it is no problem to spend time in his word. I want, like Mary, I want to sit at his feet. I feel like an ignoramus. I feel like I need to soak more of this life because that's what this book is. It's not just words on a page, red or black. This is life 
church and it feeds my spirit. If it's boring, it's probably because I'm under stress, didn't get enough sleep, or I'm distracted or turn the TV down, please, or something. But it has nothing to do with this book. This book is life. And it speaks life to me. And it deposits life into me. And I need that deposit if I am in any way going to love my neighbor as myself, impact this world. And I know that that beats in many of your hearts. When we love God, he transforms us. But here now is the question. And we're going to segue into this last temptation. How do I truly love God? Because it can feel like a task. It, I love God. I mean, if, if I think that the Bible is boring and this relationship with Jesus is boring and I don't like prayer and my parents have to drag me to church. I mean, okay, so you're saying something's wrong. So what do I got to do to love Jesus more? Do you see how I even worded that question? What do I have to do? It's all about multiple choices. It's all about getting the facts. It's, I got to do something. And Jesus is saying, no. You just got to fall in love with me. So how do we do that? Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. By the way, as, as you're turning there, I really appreciated Zach bringing up several weeks ago in his sermon, John 14, 15. Very simply, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And he said this, and I thought, excellent point, excellent point. Because many times we see this as just another task, another duty. Well, if I love Jesus, I'm obligated to obey his commands. So if I love him, I guess I got to do what he says. And that comes across as a duty, as a command. And, the ch and if it were a command, it would have been worded differently. It would have been worded like, if you love me, then obey my commands. But it doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You see, it's not a command. It's a promise. If you love Jesus, he's saying, if you love me, you're going to follow me. You're, you're going to be transformed. Something's going to happen in you. When you're loving me, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you, and you're going to want to obey, and it's going to be a delight. You're not going to feel like that proverbial hamster on the treadmill, run, 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 and then get exhausted and fall off. It is going to be a delight, not a duty. So how then now do we love God? If this isn't the issue, how do I do that? Luke chapter 4 now. Luke 4. Starting with verse 9, he says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God. Now, we've come across that phrase before, if you are the Son of God. In the first temptation, if you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Here's what this testing or temptation is. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw your, yourself down from here, for it is written. And he actually quotes Scripture, church, Satan knows scripture. He didn't say, hang on a second, Jesus, while I look this one up in the book of uh, Psalms. 
And, and he, okay, here's Psalm 91. Here's what I want to say to you. And then he begins to read. No, he quotes it. He quotes it. He will give, excuse me, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The significance of this is the striking your foot against the stone is like stubbing your toe. Okay? He, when you fall, whether it's a great fall or just a little trip, stumble over a rock in the pathway, stubbing your toe, his angels are there to protect you. So Jesus, why don't you see if this is true or not? I mean, you're the son of God. See that point of the temple there? Climb up there and jump off. Let's see if the angels catch you. What's wrong with this? Well, number one, the first thing that's wrong is Satan is so clever, he didn't share a truth with Jesus. He shared a half-truth with Jesus because he quoted only most of the passage, but not all of it. Actually, if you were to turn to I, Psalm 91, it would read, he will give his angels command concerning you to guard you carefully in all your ways. And Satan conveniently left that out. That means as you're going about in life, if something happens to you, I'm going to take care of you. God is good. I got this. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to commission my angels and they will make sure that no harm comes to you. That is as you go about your life, not if you put me to the test. Jesus' response then is another quote from Deuteronomy 6. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, which, by the way, is where we find that passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6. And so, Jesus is being put to the test to test the Father's love. Now, you might think, well, wow, I, I can't remember the last time I climbed to the, the, the pinnacle of the temple and jumped off, so uh, th this seems very irrelevant to me. How might we test God's love? I think we test God's love every time we question him. God, look at this circumstance in my life. I don't understand why you didn't. Here's what happens. Guys, we have an understanding of love, and it is so limited. It truly is. I have to admit, even as a pastor and, and for 40, let me count it, 43 years, I think it is now, Yeah, something like that. That I've been walking with the Lord, reading the word. I would have to say that my understanding of love is still so small. And I, and I say that with a, with a sense of embarrassment, honestly. I feel like I am still needing to learn so much. But here's what we can do. Even with our limited understanding of love, God, if what you do in my life doesn't match up with my 
puny, limited, inadequate understanding of love, I wonder if you really love me. That's really what we're doing. We question his love. We're wondering, does he really love me? What what Satan tries to do is he focuses in this title, Son of God, he focuses on the concept of son. The first one, he focused on God. If you're God, then make these stones bread. But if you're the son, oh my goodness, your relationship with the father, surely he, he, he'll, he'll take care of you. Surely if you jump off the pinnacle of this temple, he's going to catch you. He's going to commission his angels right away, more than and quicker than anyone else. He certainly, he loves you the most, then he will catch you. And even Jesus himself did not need to question the Father's love. It was rock solid in his spirit. On the day he was baptized and the Spirit descended, the Father himself said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased Listen to him. This is my son. I'm so pleased with him. Jesus had not done any ministry. No one had been healed yet. Jesus' performance in ministry was this much. The only people he had probably ministered to were family and friends. That's it. And the father was like, yes. Yes, the the character of my son. I love this. He loves me with all of his heart. He, he, he he, He truly, he truly follows me. He, he, he is my son. You know what? When my children disobey, when they were younger, of course, I would take them into the bathroom and I would have to spank them. But when I was done spanking, I needed to, I wanted to communicate something to them. My love for you right now hasn't changed even a tiny bit. Not at all. And I would ask them at the end, so how much does daddy love you? And they would, this much. And yeah, from here around the world a million times to here. Yeah, this much. And I would hug them. And, you know, I love to see dads, especially after they discipline their kids. Love on their kids. And, and, the, and the child feels so affirmed and you can see it in their eyes. My daddy loves me. Just I want to tell you, your daddy loves you. Your heavenly father loved his son, no question about it. We now, because of Jesus and he has revealed the father to us, we stand in this relationship with him as little children, as sons and daughters of God, and he loves us. He loves you. That is a rock solid truth. So understand this, that because the father loves you, you now are able to love him. Let me say that again. Because that that truth is so simple. Does God love you? Yes. Do you love God? Yes. Easy, multiple choice answer. But do you understand how they work together? John says it this way in 1 John 4, 
15. He says, we love because he first loved us. I'm able to love God because he loved me first. I'm able to love God because he poured out his life to me in a demonstration of this love. And as a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 4, it says a little bit earlier in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God. No. What's the greatest demonstration that we love? No. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning sacrifice. Sins forgiven. This is this word that we find elsewhere in Scripture, propitiation. NIV translates it to atoning sacrifice. God's propitiation. Jesus laid his life down. He bore the wrath that we deserved from God, he bore that on himself. He took the punishment that I deserved and that you deserved, he took that on himself. He didn't just take your sins, he took the punishment for your sins. I mean, if there's anyone who understands punishment, it was me. Oh, growing up, I knew how to sass my mom up one side, down the other. And she would say, Michael, go to your room. And I would have to wait in my room, no lie, church, up to like two hours waiting for my dad. You ever hear that one? Wait till your father gets home. That was her favorite line. She didn't know how to spank us, okay? She would want to spank us. And we say, mom, give me just a moment. We go into the, we would stuff clothes in our back seat. And it was like, she never got it. And she would try to spank us and we would laugh. And she was like, I'm t- I can't do this. Wait till your father gets home. Oh, no. And for two hours, I would lay in my bed with fear and trepidation. And the door, the front door would open. And it was my brother's voice. Okay, I've got more time to live. And then finally the door would open and it was my dad's voice. And just dread would come over me. And I would just wait for him to say, it wasn't Michael. No, it was Michael. You know what I'm talking about? And I would, I would, then I would see him. I would turn over. The, I would see him at the door. And he says, son, get down out of that bunk. You and I need to have this talk. Is it true? And man, I, I knew about punishment, okay? Because my dad disciplined with a belt. And yeah, but Jesus took all of that, all of that punishment that I deserved. I mean, my dad's punishment was bad enough, but my sin against an infinitely loving and holy God must be punished. He's not going to wave some magical wand and, you know what, I just forgive you, okay? Out of the kindness of my heart, I'm just going to forgive you. Something had to happen, and that is Jesus' death on the cross. And this word propitiation means a sacrifice that actually turns away wrath. That's what Jesus did for you because he took the wrath of the Father. The holy, 
demands of justice in God had to be poured out on sin. It had to. That is the very nature of who God is. And Jesus took that for you. You know what I think? That many times we don't grasp this concept of following Jesus because it goes back to the fact that we fail to truly understand the depth of his love for us. So follow me here. Essay answer. If God loves you so much and it smites you and, and, and you were amazed by it and you respond in faith, you then love him. We love because he first loved us. So you got that. God loves me and I am amazed and I surrender to that love. And now I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because now I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I am empowered to love my neighbor as myself. I am now equipped for ministry. Ministry is all about, anointed ministry is all about pouring yourself out as a living sacrifice, serving others ministering to the brokenness, some element of the brokenness in this world. And remember, this world is broken, not because God created it that way, like by accident or something, but because of our sin, Adam's sin. We are broken, the world is broken, and God is saying, can I use you to bring healing to this broken world? Because if you do, if this is your desire, then you need to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you're going to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's only one way that's going to happen. You need to so grasp my love for you. God's love for us, I love him. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I minister in the power of his spirit. Do you get those two truths? This temptation has to do with that first connection. Do you really grasp the Father's love? I'm going to suggest to you that maybe there's an issue if we find ourselves testing that love. Does God really love me? According to my definition of love, does God really love me? Because if you loved me, God, then you would have allowed me to get this promotion. I mean, that's love. If you loved me, God, you would allow me to get this raise. You would allow me to get into this account. If you loved me, God, you would allow me to get married soon. And to her, if you loved me, God, then you would save my husband. You would save my child. You would save my parent, my friend. This is what you would do if you loved me. If you loved me, you would not embarrass me by having me drive this piece of junk, this rust mobile, or live in this house. God, if you loved me, you would want to bless me. And I'm looking around and I don't see this blessing. When Meredith was earlier talking about the blessings that God gives us, when we get caught up 
in this wondering, does God really love me? It gives us tunnel vision. We begin to see all those ways in which his love does not measure up to my definition of love. And we begin to miss all of those blessings. I would venture to say that they're about 100 to 1. God has so many blessings and he has loved you and demonstrated that love in so many ways, but we're missing it because we're all caught up in how God doesn't love me. We're caught up in God, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do this? And why did you allow that? Now, in all honesty, for God to answer those questions, God, why did you allow this? it would probably be a 20-part answer because the answer would be so involved and it would touch on so many things in your life. But you're focused on the one or two and you don't see, why would he allow that? I can promise you this, promise you this, that when you get to heaven and you ask him that question, I'm probably wrong. It's probably a 50-part answer. There are so many parts to that answer. And when you step back, and this is what will happen, church. And and if you are not getting his love and you're regularly questioning it, and you stand before him and in that day you ask him, then why did you allow this and this and this in my life? He will blow you away with his answer. And you will step back in shame and say, God, how could I not see this? What an amazing thing. I know it hurt, but... I get it now. And his essay answer will blow you away. And you will begin to wonder, God, why couldn't I trust you? Why couldn't I just trust you? Your word, it tells me over and over that you love me. Read the book of 1 John. It'll blow you away. The very fact that God sent his son that he loved dearly to bear the punishment you deserve, that I deserve, that is love. Here's how significant that is, that Jesus has forgiven us. Do you remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, we went through that as life groups. And in the very first chapter, he says, add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, kindness, et cetera, et cetera, and add to your brotherly kindness, love. And then skipping a verse, he says, if you do not have these qualities, it is because you are nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that your past sins have been forgiven. That's so significant, just this element of God's love. Because when you get that, it changes you. You're going to add to your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and so on. That's just, it's going to happen in your life. So here's my point now, and I'm going to wrap this up. This third testing is absolutely foundational in Jesus's inauguration into ministry. For him to have an anointed ministry, this question, does the Father truly love me, has got to be resolved before he takes one step out of that desert. God, do you truly love me? And I'm gonna tell you this, church, If you walk into any circumstance that is hard, and this is an unresolved question in your mind, the answer to that question for you will be no. God must not love me. Because you're going to base it on what you see. 
Jesus did not base, does the Father love me? On circumstances. He based it on what is truth. And Satan of all creatures knew this truth. He knew the relationship between the Father and the Son. He he saw it. Church, this Son of God created him. He created him. Jesus was there when Satan was formed and crafted for a godly purpose that Satan stepped out of in his pride. He knew firsthand this relationship between father and son. And he knew if I can just find a chink, if I can get Jesus to doubt the father's love, all of Jesus' ministry would be down the tubes. It would be tanked. That is how crucial this third test is. And I want to ask you this morning, number one, do you want to walk in God's blessings and favor and, and the promised land, if you will? Then I'm going to challenge you in this wilderness experience of yours in which you're stepping back and you're wondering, God, I, I think I love you, but... I want that love to increase. Don't doubt the Father's love. It is a rock-solid truth. No circumstance should ever get us to that point where we are saying, maybe God doesn't love me. I think in a great part it is because we are entertaining lies of the enemy. And I would just encourage you before you leave today, it's wherever you're taking notes, I'm going to encourage you right now, write down one truth about how God demonstrates his love to you. One truth that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you. One truth that says, I know that God loves me based on this. And then I want you to write down one lie that the enemy has been regularly stirring in your heart that causes you to question the Father's love. Let's put this issue to rest. Let's put it to bed, as they say. Let's not doubt the Father's love. Emotionally, I understand that as a response. Sometimes the psalmist, when something happens, they be, God, have you abandoned us? But you f- discover by the end of the psalm that that emotion, he's worked through it by grasping again the truth of God's love. Nevertheless, I will rejoice in your salvation. I will rejoice in your unfailing love. And he has been brought back to that singular truth that Jesus himself was tested. Does the Father really love you? 
Church, let's get this down. God loves me so much. That very fact that he rescued me and that my sin, as offensive as it is, he forgave all of it. And as I have been pursuing him, Jesus, grow this love, grow this love. I'm going to just conclude with this because this is what I think God wants to do in your life. He wants that love to grow. I believe that for me, God has allowed me to go through hard experiences. Hard experiences. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Our tendency, though, is as things get heated up, and I'm wondering, is God going to come through? It's the 11th hour. We take the step, and to meet this need, then we, we, we pull out our credit card. God, forget about God, the credit card. I'm going to challenge you this. Put the credit card back in your, in your wallet. Put it back in your wallet, and let's see what God does. Can you trust him? Down to the 11th hour, 59th minute, and 59th second. And I'm going to tell you this, and, and, and this has happened in my life over and over and over. If you gave me enough time, I would be able to... I'd be able to talk about this for two plus hours as far as testimonies of when God has brought me to this place. God, I, don't, I cannot pay the bills. How are you going to provide? And God miraculously provided. And instead of my emotions giving a knee jerk, well, we're just going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. That will be out of God's will. I said, God, I am going to trust you. I don't know how you're going to do this. And yet every time church, he came through. I believe God wants to show you his love, but you got to give him an opportunity. And allow the motions to settle down and say, God, no matter what comes my way, I am following you. I am following you to the very end. And that's what Jesus did. Even when he was crucified, he loved the Father and the Father 